love sushi, I love Japan. My social life has hit the fan. All I have is anime, so I guess there's just one thing to say. Guru Gamesh, my life's a mess. My figure collection is racking up debt. My wife has left, my house is gone. Time to get my butt to Sakura Con. Guru Gamesh. Welcome to the Garuga Mesh podcast. I am Gabe. I'm your other host. I'm here with you with your host of the who blah blah blah. I can't actually say your line. I just can't do it. Host with the host who most mostly something like that. Words. Does make sense. Um, I'm here with Jay, who is doing something. I don't know what it is. Ay 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 ay! The witches are attacking the city. Quickly, get me five teenage girls with depression anxiety. It's time to morph. They've got wishes that they want, even though they'll soon be dead. They better do their very best to never lose their heads. They must prevent witches from hatching. Being Maguka is suffering. Goma Doka Rangers. Down, 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 go Madoka Rangers. Down, 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 go Madoka Rangers. Well, I imagine I'm a Doka Rangers. Yeah, fun fact, if I hadn't come up with that stupid bit, we wouldn't be doing this episode. Welcome to the Grugamesh Podcast, the only one place for anime discussion on the internet. I'm your host, the most mostly, Jay. And this episode, we will be tackling the wonderful world of Puella Magi Madoka Magica. I managed to hold it together for most of that song, and the uh, I just broke at the ending. It's, yes, I am, I, sh- I am shocked and awed. I am unrealistically proud of that stupid bit. I think you should be. It's very good. And to be honest, <laughs> if you need a reason to do an episode... There it is. It's right there. So this was, originally we sat down and we were like, we need to do something new. We need to do something that the kids are really into these days. So like Madoka Magica, that's hot. And then I looked up when it released and my bones turned to dust because this is now 10 years old. Yes, it is. This is the newest show we're covering in this first season. My God. <laughs> to, to be fair, it's new enough that I watched it when it was airing, which we can talk about like how it like what the experience of watching when it was airing was like, because it was a big deal. It's a pretty big deal. It's, like, it was the, it's the biggest show of its season, like easily. Well, and it's is... it's still a very, very well-loved, very well-respected. It will constantly trend on Netflix. It's constantly will evoke nostalgia. Madoka Magica has immortalized itself within modern sort of 21st century anime culture and it's sort of why we have power years in anime like common examples are 2006 we're at 1998 but 2011 for a lot of people of our generation people slightly younger is a, is a power year and madoka is one of like the five titans that aired within the same season that absolutely demolished torrent sites and chat rooms. What else came out when Madoka was out? Steins Gate, Fate oh, Zero, yeah. Hunter Hunter started airing. Yeah, I remember this. We're going to get into how Madoka is very key with this era of unofficial digital distribution and forum yes. culture. But first of all, well, I'll try and give a synopsis because, you know, that's a good thing to do on a retrospective anime podcast. Really, yes, generally it's a good idea to give a <laughs> A bit of a actually explain what we're explain discussing what and we talking do for about. A living. 
So uh, uh, the, the secret is we don't do anything for a living. <laughs> Madoka Magica is a 12 episode anime series directed by Akiyuki Shimba, written by Gena Rabuchi, animated by Studio Shaft that tells the story of uh, Madoka Kaname, a normal teenage girl who one day stumbles upon this mystical creature by the name of Kyube and then gets wrapped up into the world, wonderful world of magical girls. But then it slowly begins to fall apart as she faces an inevitable fate to become a immortal destroyer of witches and it slowly unravels into a time-space conspiracy, a twisted love story, and so many Dutch angles you'll need a bucket. Yeah, basically <laughs> the entire thing is completely batshit, um, but it works and it's fun. So before we get into Madoka as a whole, we usually do this thing where we have some sort of our experiences with the show, yes. but... Before we get into even that, what are your experiences with Maho Shoujo, Gabe? Because mine are, I feel, a sort of kinship with right. fans of Maho Shoujo. I, yes, I can see that. It's genre yeah. of anime that's very popular in Japan. It is rooted in the culture of the entire medium, even people who've never sat down to watch a Maho Shoujo series know the tropes of the transformation and the elegant uh, dresses and the pretty bubbles and the hearts. If and you really think about it from your sort of angle as Big Mecha Man, yes, Mecha and Magical Girl have quite a lot in common. Hundred percent, like huge amount of crossover. And the biggest crossover I can think of in regards to Western fandom is the fact that most people know the tropes of the genre or think they do yes. by seeing only a couple of examples and disregarding everything else in the genre. And Madoka Magica next to Sailor Moon is very much that. Yes. So my exposure to Magical Girls before doing research for this episode was, and I kid you not, looking up YouTube clips of the Canadian Sailor Moon dub and laughing at them. <laughs> Other than that, I was going in completely blind. Oh dear. You're not a magical girl person at all, then. It's not. I have nothing against the genre. I was very excited to do this episode and dive into the research, but I knew less than nothing going into this. I see, my experience with magical girl is also quite limited. As in, what have I fucking seen, even? I've obviously seen Madoka. I've seen random episodes of Sailor Moon. I grew up with Cardcaptor Sakura. Mm. I am struggling to think of any other magical girl shows off the top of my head. Which is kind of, you know, why we wanted to do this episode. I've seen, I've seen a couple of episodes of Nana, huh? Mm. I've seen a few other things. Which, as part of my research, I dived into sort of bits and pieces in order to get the feels of the genre, like what tropes are on display, what themes are being explored here, and I might sort of Test examples were a couple episodes of Sailor Moon Redub, card, about 12 episodes of Card Captain Sakura, and about two thirds of uh, Mahu Shoujo Lyrical Nanaha, which yes. we will be talking about a little bit in this episode because it's very much a Madoka precursor that yes. brings a lot of the talent over and deserves to be acknowledged for kind of setting the precedent of what Madoka would take and sprint with. Yes, because if we're jumping off on this bit with Nanaha, Nanoha is very much... Madoka gets a huge amount of credit and a huge amount of respect, and a lot of his popularity comes from the fact that it seemed to be this sort of, like, dark adult take on yeah. the magical girl genre. People often use the buzzword subversion and deconstruction, and much like Mecha fans with Evangelion, Mahu Shoujo fans with Madoka and deconstruction are very on the back foot about this and very defensive, and I absolutely understand why 
because when you do this research, there has always been a catch of darkness related to this genre, be it the creepy looking demons in Sailor Moon, be it the fact that a lot of the tropes were coined by Gona Guy, Mr. Blood Boobs and Brooding himself, and that cannot be uh, ignored. Yes. Cutie Honey is the absolute, from my understanding of reading about anime history, Cutie Honey is kind of formative to Magical Girl in very much the same way that stuff like Sally the Witch is. Yeah, I mean, if we talk about like the way we view Magical Girls through the idea of transformation and pretty outfits and ornate objects of feminine power, that's it was more sort of like traditional uh, witches and magicians with like the likes of Sally the Witch and Minky Momo and stuff like that. But it was Naoko Takeuchi, the creator of Sailor Moon, who looked at Sentai. See, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to be the best podcasty man. The reason why I did the dumb Power Rangers bit is that Naoko Takeuchi looked over there and Sentai was like, huh, that's cool. Uh, what if the Pink Ranger wasn't enough? What if I made a team of Pink Rangers and made these things of like, you know, feminine submission, kind of possibly cool. And then, so, you know, uh, and then several hundred and then Bandai million looked at them and said, Okay, that's cool. How many wands can we sell in Odiva? Get this woman a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> the descent of magical girls from Sailor Moon, from that incorporation, mm, is yeah. kind of completely pervasive like it goes directly to stuff like uh, magic knight ray earth it goes down ray earth that's another magical i've seen that completely fell out of my mind it goes down into ray earth it goes down into card capture sakura yeah i'm just about to say precure it goes on into precure it goes down into so much it sort of read it was it's very much sort of the dragon ball z catalyst that redefines an understanding of a genre and that's largely and obviously because America's first exposure to Maho Shoujo was through the deke dub of Sailor Moon on Cartoon Network slash Toonami. That's how a lot of our perception is Yeah, I feel like there probably... I'm not 100% certain, but I feel like there was probably a few Magical Girl series prior to Sailor Moon that were dubbed popularity and actual cultural impact they were negligible it's like they were dubbed and broadcast but not as anime just as another cartoon yeah 100%. and they didn't really take off sailor moon on the other hand yeah. yeah i mean there are there's old interview footage of naoko takauchi just talking to these very awkward white southern men who are like so these team of five girlfriends who have girl power what do you think of that japanese lady <laughs> I wish I was joking. It's very <laughs> weird to watch. We should probably start talking about uh, Madoka Magica, considering we're uh, 11 minutes in. So, Gabe, you watched Madoka when it was airing, yes, which is kind of nuts to think about. Yeah, it makes me feel very old. <laughs> but I'm also just like, ah, that's, that's a long time. Fucking hell. It's weird. Uh, my memories of watching Madoka, I don't think I started watching it straight away. I think I started watching it when it was about halfway through, because I remember it started it started airing. And the first two episodes, they're you know, they're still dark. They've still got that little like ed- twist to ed- like they've still got that little ed- edge to them of being like, oh, things are slightly off. Things are a bit hmm, this seems a bit darker than usual. Something's going on here. And then episode three. And A the anime board on 4chan and just most anime boards on the internet absolutely lose their shit for a solid week. Just absolutely lose it. When I was rewatching this on Netflix, 
I very much viewed Madoka Magica as anime prestige television in regards to both pacing, how the internet reacted towards it, because it's a it's a big moment that benefited from both a wide serialization online and discussion through forums like A and various sort of uh, chat rooms, but also because it was anime original, it benefited the story direction because there was no merchandising department atop uh, the producers that sort of commanded that they go in a certain direction. I'm actually, I have a couple of key quotes about this later, but yeah, that was definitely when I was watching this and consuming it again, I was, my, my critical lens was on and I enjoyed myself thoroughly, but I did sort of have a lot of smiles on my face because I could easily link this to how we understand the modern perception of television. Interesting. Would you like to elaborate on that? Absolutely. Madoka Magica, we, I swear we're going to get into plot details, details and characters, but I've got to justify the piece of paper that said I went to school for three years. We're, so- we're, we're a talk show. This is what we're doing. We talk. We, we, it's not just the Madoka Magica is an anime and this happens. We've got all the things. It's not just about the show. It's about because our whole thing as a podcast is not just talking. I thought about I just yelled dumb bits into a microphone. I mean, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what we do for an hour. But we're talking about the as retrospectives, not just the show, but the context yeah. surrounding it. Quite often, you're going to need me this episode. No, no, Uncle Greg, it's fine. I don't think we need you. I'll talk about my Sally the Witch crush. She was so saying, she back was. in the closet. Get in your closet. Go on. We might have to kill him off in season two. Don't don't tell him. (laughs) (laughs) He showed off. He showed off too much. (laughs) He's the poochie of our show. Anyway, what are your quotes? Madoka Magica. I mean, I'll get to my quotes later because they're very much uh, tied to the key staff that we will cover after we cover the show's plot details. But my key point about Madoka as a watching experience is because it was a 12 episode anime, it is not only had an extended lifeblood among new anime fans because it's infinitely rewatchable and very bingeable, which means that on a service like Netflix, it has flourished eternally for the 10 years it's been available to the public. But the fact that it's paced like a drama, it's paced like a thriller and has like several hook, line and sinkers throughout the entire series that keeps... Watching this week to week would be amazing during that time. And it was amazing because there's so many just cliffhangers. There's so many episodes that end with just a, a oh, 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 fuck. Oh, oh okay, that's happening. When you have the master right. of episode hooks, Gen the Butcher Urobuchi himself penning this, you're gonna be on the edge of a seat and you're gonna be theorizing. And with that said, let's get into it. With Madoka Magica, when you first think of it, what triggers an emotional response during the art triggers like key memories, key feelings, key just thoughts of events in this wonderful, tragic nightmare of a television series. You're gonna love this because as I was just mentioning, it's not anything to do with the actual show because you wouldn't... So when you watch Madoka, Mm. you didn't watch it from like torrent sites or anything. You didn't watch TV rips of it. No, no, I watched like, you know, nice high quality Blu-ray footage on a a legal streaming service, which is sort of the antithesis of Western Madoka fandom. (laughs) So you would never have gotten to experience the true beauty and glory that is your weekly morning rescue. Da, da, da. 
you never, you've never experienced Morning Rescue, have you? This show is named after an obscure 2009 internet meme, and you are baffling me right now. I need an explanation on this stat. So the, I can't remember what subgroup it is, but when Madoka was being released weekly, they decided to keep in the sort of like pre-ad it's either the post first part ad or, uh-huh. or the pre second part ad, but every week there would be an ad for Morning Rescue, which is a Japanese drink that was being sold to office people, and it has become it, it was just the oh, that's meme. bloody brilliant! So, I would genuinely recommend looking it up on YouTube because it's about twenty seconds, and we can get your reaction. All right, in that case, okay, that's I can't. A good time. This is the first, like Morning Rescue. Can't believe I'm about, I'm about to do this. Yes, you know you, I had a, I had a plan. I had like fifty. You had, you had a plan, but as with any good D and D game, it's better when it doesn't go to plan. All right, wonderful, wonderful. So, morning rescue, sixteen seconds. Yes. There All you right, go. let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Kino hajaki sugi ta mina san rescue kashi morning rescue. Morning rescue. Morning rescue. How do you feel about this? I feel like I've been missing this all my life. Yeah. Dear viewers, what I just witnessed is 16 glorious seconds of Japanese men abseiling from the ceiling in orange jumpsuits, handing what looks like bootleg LucasAid bottles to very tired office employees, and it ends with them just having like a big stash of them inside a factory. It's beautiful. It's but so the, po- the point is the point I was showing you this mm. is that so much of my memory of Madoka because aside from rewatching it for this episode of the podcast, I haven't seen it since it aired. So my experiences of it are very less tied maybe to the show itself and more due to the culture of the time. Yeah, more to the culture of the time, more to my experiences around the communities, and more to all just all around the memories that I have of it of like the story about the fans who so Madoka when it was airing it, the last episode or the last like two episodes the finale basically was delayed I think it might have been I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore in an organized and fair industry nope never happens but no I, I think it was delayed because of the 2011 earthquake that don't, wouldn't surprise no, me don't quote me on that but I think that's why but eventually it got aired a couple of weeks a couple of weeks later than it should have mm. But the finale was only being aired in the Tokyo region. It wasn't being aired across all of Japan. That's nuts. Yes. So you had groups of fans who would make pill, who would just all get together, all rent the way a bus to Tokyo, and drive all the way to Tokyo just to watch it. That is nuts. Yeah. It's it's stories like that. Like there's so much stuff to do with Madoka that just isn't to do with the show itself, but it's just what the like the wider cultural the show. Yes. I do know that like this and uh, the first volume of Bakemonogashiri are some of the highest selling anime Blu-rays of all time. Oh yeah massively which definitely does show that i mean this is during this is actually covering this earlier than i wanted to but i want to bring this up that this was during the period of the anime industry that japan was very much focusing on its inner territory yeah the mid-2000s actually been very profitable for japanese companies to sort of bring a lot of stuff over to western audiences and bring a lot of stuff over to be enjoyed by english-speaking uh anime fans and uh then the western fan base uh learned how to torrent and sink that fucking ship into the goddamn ocean. And so Japan was like, okay, the whiteies failed us. Focus on the home turf forever. We gave them the chance and they fucked it. 
There is a <laughs> you can you can really see the trend though. You can see the trend throughout the mid two thousands of all yes. of these shows that are like they're geared for the Japanese audience, of course. Studio Manclobe, yeah. Rest in Peace was literally designed to appeal to like nerds who liked gunfights and Western cool shit. And surprise, surprise, in the twenty tens, they fucking died. Rest <laughs> in peace, my friends. But you got a bunch of shows like fucking ghosts, like standalone complex, which yeah. yes, it's for a Japanese audience. But it's also for the Western audience. It's very, made very for Adult Swim. Let, yeah. let no one tell you otherwise. That, that teals away towards the end of the decade as, yeah. again, torrenting starts to become a much bigger a thing. A bigger deal. Like, you know, like we talked about 2006 being a power year, which is sort of like the real start of people figuring out high quality, and by high quality, I mean like 360p yeah. with some awkward fan subs. But for the time, it was incredible. Yeah. That's like, that's, like, how, that's how Haruhi started to Yeah, like Haruhi, Code Geass, Death Note, that sort of like triad of 2006, 2007 yeah. anime. Maybe that's less torrenting and that's more watching it on streaming sites, but yeah, the, yeah. Pr- the principle's the same. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, it's just giving me flashbacks. <laughs> flashbacks to what? No. Well, you see, back in my day, we didn't have none of this, like, goo daddy or lame wire. I was happy watching my nostalgia critic funny moments on dailymotion.com and waiting for 72 hours for five minutes of Haruhi. These days, with your crunchy mations and your funny rolls, I've had enough of it, you spoiled fucking brats. Look, Greg, just because your Laserdisc collection isn't worth any money doesn't mean that you get the upset. You take that the fuck back right now. No. All right, it's fair enough. I'm going back to my basement. Bye, boys. And he's gone again. Motherfucker took my water bottle. Did he? I mean, granted, I don't feed him, which is fair enough, but... Uh, I mean, he subsists purely off of the essence of anime. That is very true. And stealing from my cupboards. Yes. But the... Where were we? Well, we were talking about anime culture in the mid-2000s and how, like, Madoka was one of these key fixtures that That's, brought it yes. kind of back, because Japan was, like, once again, Studio Shaft was very yeah. emblematic of this approach, because both Bakemonogatari and uh, Madoka Magica did gangbusters in their home nations, and because of high-speed torrenting and high-speed sort of, like, streaming unofficially, they were able to be enjoyed by an audience that usually they would never think of marketing to them. Because can you imagine getting Madoka Magica, Bakemonogatari, or Zaiba Setsugu Sensei on, like, this time on Toonami? It would never happen. <laughs> but there's also the fascinating thing of this is the period where it's not just that people outside Japan get to experience these anime that might not necessarily have come over in the same way. They get to experience them simultaneously. They get to experience Which them at the, like, and roughly just like give like a day or two for the fan subs to come through. There you go. Yeah. And that's f- mental when you think about it, rather than having to wait months and months for things to come over on TV or for DVDs to be brought over. Because um, as much as I sort of like, you know, made a joke about the Western anime fandom basically killing the anime industry, which is not necessarily wrong, considering they were still like not every company, but a lot of like sub companies were still on the four episodes of pop, which J- which Japan is still on. But for an American audience was a horrible business model that I'm surprised existed as long as it did, especially for long-running shows like Naruto or Dragon Ball, where it's like, yeah, here's 40 bucks for four episodes where Naruto stares at a frog. I mean, I'm sure it's a good four episodes. There's a lot of frogs staring there, but also that's a bit ugh, grimy. It's like you see the... Order. Naruto, you must lick this frog in order to become the best ninja. 
He's going to have a great time on that frog. <laughs> but the you see the same thing here in the UK mm. of going into fucking CEX or something and seeing the old anime DVDs and it's like volume four of Goose in the Shell Standalone Complex and it's got like four episodes on it and you're just like... Which you can understand with the sort of access at your fingertips. You can understand with the especially like young burgeoning anime community having access to all this like new hotness. Exactly, because all of these DVDs, they were fucking cheap. They're like 25, 30 quid when they came out. And if you're a 14 year old who doesn't have any pocket money and you want to watch anime. Which is a gamble, because like even with stuff like uh, the American releases of New Type magazine, it was incredibly difficult to find out, unless you had people who were into this culture, the different recommendations. Because, yes, you had the uh, broadcasts on American television, but considering at this point, Toonami had been dead in the water for four or five years. Sadly. And anime on TV, unless it was occasionally stuff on the sci-fi channel, you wouldn't get it. So this was the only way to really experience it. Like Crunchyroll and Funimation were only just starting up with their legitimizing legal streaming stuff. And even that was like simulcasting we know as today is a godsend in comparison to what it used to be because they're only just figuring, figuring this out. Like Netflix was like a company that had way more investment in it was barely sort of beginning to walk during this period. They still mainly relied on their DVD rental service. But that's taken... It's very interesting to look how much it's changed since mm. then and see how much shows like Madoka yeah, I had think a massive Madoka impact. really contributed to this, which, speaking of that, we should talk about the fucking plot game because we've not done that and it's 26 minutes in. Okay. Um, Magical girls are sad and I want to hug them. Um, they're all sad and they're all lesbians. That's all I have to say about this show. No, it's not. I have more to say about it. Just my luck. That <laughs> <laughs> I just take all of you. Uh, looking at Jay's notes and it's just like, sad, lesbians. That's it. That's all of his notes. God, my hours of research, like looking at Wicca, looking at the wiki, the Madoka Magica wiki that hasn't been updated since Rebellion came out. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so upon this rewatch, what I I just want to go through like the, the show itself and go over some key moments that I really enjoyed because we do want to celebrate Madoka as a TV show, yes. not just the culture around it. On the first episode, it is very clear that Akiyuki Shimbo is probably the anime director that is interested and committed to using aspect ratios for thematic meaning the most of any director I've ever seen. He makes use of like the Cinemascope wide angle of 182, yeah. which is the one with the black bars above it. Uh, and yeah. also like he does this a lot in his works and in the Monogatari series is also very known for just going crazy with cinematography. And it kind of, he made his name by just making cool visuals yes pretty much like you can always tell him. you can trace his career all the way back to like working on big shonen shows in the 90s like yu yu hawk show and then just transferring into doing anime original stuff and being like studio shafts golden boy at this point well i mean the point is that you can tell immediately now when you see a shimbo mm. show like straight away you can just look at it and go yeah camera angles yeah really weird architecture yeah just two people stood having a conversation yeah. But the camera's doing oh, just bat, just going batshit and it's flying the, the everywhere. Fight, because there's the thing, Magical Girl as a genre, as far as my limited understanding goes, combat is not necessarily foreign to it, but it's usually more 
ethereal and otherworldly, and this has a lot more sort of like of an of a visceral impact to it. I mean, you say this, but the whole point of the shift of Sailor Moon is bringing yes. more of a combat fight, yes. like fighting off the forces of evil. But then again, like Sailor Moon was also a Toei animation production that had to run for a hundred and something episodes, meaning that like it would just be reused footage for half of the fight scenes. Whereas in Madoka, a lot of the actual fight scenes genuinely are like, oh, this is really cool. This is really well choreographed. This looks good. This is actually kind of badass. It's pushing the mediums of what you can do with 2D animation. And whilst it does implement CG, it is used incredibly effectively. But the pilot is wonderful because usually when you do what I like to call the rug pull, when you have sort of like this night, it's usually anime is the medium of them comic books that sort of takes a nice fluffy premise and then fucks it up within a five second radius. And Madoka makes its slice of life fluffiness appealing and enjoyable enough that you wouldn't mind if the whole show was this. No. And that is a very key because a lot of shows, movies, OVAs, whatever, that try and attempt this, that make their world too generic, kind of lose their audience before they have like a chance to, no, get, no don't get up from your seats. This is where like the cool shit happens. Come back. This is what I was saying about Madoka earlier is that part of the hook of it is that, yes, those first two episodes are still they're quite lighthearted. They're quite cheerful, blah, 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 blah. There's a sense of like magical adventure, yay! But the seeds are planted. Yes, the seeds are planted. You can tell something's off. You can tell things are a bit askew. You can tell mm. that QB is a creepy little fucking bastard. Holy shit. <laughs> Homura is there literally telling you, this is not what it looks like. Do not do what he tells you. She she's literally just not just talking about it, she's telling you as the audience that things All are not you need what they to seem. Understand is everything you know is wrong. Basically. That's, that's the basic sentence. I didn't think I was gonna get Weird Al into the Madoka Magic episode, but somehow I managed it. Impressed, man. <laughs> you managed that. Uh, like, let's talk characters because this show is often uh, beloved for being a character centric yes. show, especially considering we have a very small cast, which is quite beneficial. It's like the cast effectively outside of the main sort of like five girls. Yeah, it's like, very yeah, uh, it's very limited. Oh, it's extremely limited. Outside of like uh, Madoka, Sayaka, Sakura, uh, Homura, and Mami. Yes, there we go. Mami San, let me see your mammies. You can cut that if you want. Gabe, as punishment, I'm leaving that in so you never do that ever again. <laughs> this is a reminder of why I'm... Look, every podcast needs, like, a fat one and a funny one. I'm both. Oh, my. I'm, I'm, I just hear looking You're ready. the one who controls my madness. You're not supposed to feed me. <laughs> anyway. Maguka. So we've got a very character-centric show. Mm. And this, this becomes a lot more prominent in Rebellion. But even in the main show, it's... There's other characters. The the side characters come into it, but it is primarily five five main girls, their struggles, yes. their issues, and Cube, the little fucking bastard. I, I literally have in my notes fuck Cube like twelve times. Yes. There's no exaggeration. No, there's, so there's there's no I'm glad we're on the same political spectrum yeah, about Cube. No <laughs> you can have other than fuck Cube. <laughs> Like, he is a little bastard man and he deserves every death that he has in that series. Uh, moving swiftly on. But what I really find compelling is the fact that Madoka Magica explores the concept of 
guilt quite well between every single girl has something that they're carrying on their shoulders, be it Madoka's expectation to live up to her exceptional family, Sayaka's desire to be a nice person for the sake of recognition and also acknowledging her privilege. There's Mommy's desire to put on a brave face despite the fact she is desperately lonely. There's Sayaka's distancing from trust due to her past with her family being extradited due to challenging religious beliefs, and Homer's stark apparent apathy towards Madoka, which is later later revealed, is actually the inverse of an undying, almost twisted love. She's gay. She's really gay. I can't hear you. Say it louder. Really fucking gay. What? What? Lesbians in my magical girl anime? Who would have thought it? Unbelievable. Those better be heterosexual lesbians, young man. (laughs) But so much time in the show is dedicated. Those cousins look very nice together. I bet they're engaging in a nice set of hand-holding. Cut me off with your madness. I'm meant to be controlling, remember? (laughs) So, the beauty of Maruka and its small cast is that a large, the majority of the show is dedicated to how they interact, Mm. their relationships, their difficulties, their challenges, their fights, how they come together, all of that. It's effectively taking the Sailor Moon team and like the same concept of like, hey, we have this team of magical girls who are all wonderful and work together, blah, blah, blah. And what if they all had breakdowns? What if they just all completely fell apart? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you can see the contrast with it a bit interesting. Hello, it is me, famed comic book writer and snake priest Alan Moore. I see you are taking something quite fluffy and making it fucked up. I respect that. Thank you for your input, Alan. <laughs> He's a friend of Grunkle Greg's. So they both hate young people. I see. It makes. I don't necessarily think Alan Moore hates young people. I just think he hates everything made after 1974. No. <laughs> I think he hates TVs and people who like TV. So I guess he just hates everybody in the country who owns a TV. Which sounds about right, to be honest. This is the most unfocused episode we've done, and we've done an episode about fighting over the merits of digital anime wives. Oh, fine. <laughs> the real beauty of Magica's plot doesn't necessarily lie in the machinations of QB. Yeah. Because QB is an evil <laughs> bastard man. And is slowly... Though I will get to his twist later on, because I do find it fascinating that Madoka takes on a much more science fiction angle than it does a conventional science fantasy angle. Sick. Oh, it's great. But all of these characters are genuinely quite well fleshed out and well fought and have a very wide emotional range and spectrum. It feels like it's stripped... Like, the fact that there's... The team is quite small, and I use the team very loosely because they don't really team up outside of Rebellion, and I think these characters, from Madoka to Sayaka to Sakura to Mami to Hamura, are kind of the magical girl archetype stripped back to meat and potatoes and given everything that it takes to be as good a character as I can in the short series because traditionally, I mean, obviously they're outliers, but a lot of mainstream Magical Girl series are designed to, like, go as long as possible in order to, you know, run as children's shows and specialized time blocks and sell merchandise, and that's not a condemnation, that's just a nature of the genre. You continue as a ruling advertisement, effectively. And quite often that can you know, mean that characters, it can be a while until you get development, etc. But with it being a 12-episode series, every girl gets 
their chance to show that they are a human being from Sayaka's like crush and sacrifice for the sake of Kyosuke's happiness. The fact that Madoka's the entire premise, the genius of Madoka is the fact that in the main timeline, yeah. she does not transform into a magical girl until the very end. The fact that it is yes. a battle to have her not transform is fantastic because every other show would have have her transform at the last of the uh, the ending moments of the last episode and make that be sort of like the twist where Kyube is like, you are mine forever. But it's not. It's a, it's a battle of seeing the this contract, this witch hunting divine bond, this this sort of like debt yeah. that they are they are eternally paying. What it really takes on them and what it really demonstrates about the sacrifice of because what this is is this is a distraught feminine version of the superhero secret identity yes. kind it's of effectively battle. trying to bring a sense of realism to that specific plot device mm-hmm. and i don't necessarily mean realism as in realistic i mean realism as in character authenticity magical as in the sense of magical realism of yes. oh, okay this is a fantastical thing, but how would it work mm. if it was actually? Which I think is one of the key factors to why it's such a popular anime to this day. The fact that quite often people real—I've noticed that audiences really tend to latch onto character dramas, regardless of what genre. And I think because Madoka is a really solid character genre, it broke through people's preconceptions of what Maho Shoujo could be and catapult itself into the mainstream. Honestly, Madoka, I think a large part of its popularity also comes from the way in which the plot unfolds. Because as you say, it unfolds very much like a thriller. It's very tense. There's lots of cliffhangers. There's lots of teasing of thriller plot points. And especially when you have that end of episode three twist where... Which I knew going in, but it was still amazingly executed. Yeah, imagine that the reaction to that after going in blind oh, no. of like watching as much as it is a meme, it is codified as a absolute joke in an in the anime community, but it's still wonderfully effective. It's what it is the is an achievement of screenwriting. I think it is the scene that kind of cemented Madoka as something oh special. this is yes, special. It's very special. It's that scene where everyone just turned around and went, oh, okay, this isn't this isn't just the Magical Girl anime. This is some... Well, it is just a Magical Girl anime. But then it, it evolves into this story of love and loss, of sacrifice, of hate, of cynicism, and shining through that. I'm just going to talk about some more actual direct plot points, because I do think that Gena Rabuchi is a man that I'm quite fond of. He's written a lot of great stuff. And uh, Madoka seems to be his pet project. It seems to be the work he's most proud of. Yeah. As a psychopath fan, I am currently crying in the corner. Thanks, Gen. He he would be happy to know that you're crying in the corner. Just come back! It's been wallowing in mediocrity for five. Just come back! I'm fine. You're fine. So I really like the Griff Seeds. I really un- I really like the Griff Seeds as a plot device. The 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 moment where Sayaka just throws hers away. Like, no, no, Madoka throws uh, Sayaka's grief seed away is sort of like a method to stop her becoming a magical girl or to stop her combating Sakura after a horrible piece of advice from her mother. By the way, I just have in capitals, Madoka's mother sucks, have her adopted, which I stand by. 
throughout the entire throughout this entire course, she, my mother gives her like the most terrible fucking bullshit advice consistently, and I'm just like, this is the reason your daughter is gonna end up like a possessed witch demon. This is this is a completely irrelevant tangent. I just thought I'd throw this in there. But no, that that's a great moment. The fact that this one third option that you thought was going to be perhaps an out just leads to a darker truth that even characters like Homura and Sai and uh, Sakura, uh, who apparently hold all the cards in the situation, now realize the deck has just been fucking flipped, yeah. and that Kyubei has been holding out even more information. And that's one that to me that was a more effective twist than free because that's not nearly talked about enough because no. it's a more subtle moment, but it expands the universe and especially when it comes to the reveal that Kubey comes from a race of the, like the incubators as a race of science fiction beings that interfered with Earth's history and accelerated its evolution through magical Goton contracts is bloody brilliant. Mental. And it works very fucking well. You just kind of sit and look. I remember when I was watching it, I watched the movies for my rewatch. Mm. I remember watching all of that sequence of storyline play out and just sitting there going, holy fuck, this is really good. This is like really smart. This is really well written. This is really well put together. It's genuinely like well developed and thought out. It's surprising as well, because as you say, when Madoka throws Sayaka's thing onto the truck, it is one of those moments where the whole show just goes, flip, just completely shifts everything, and you're like, oh, oh, oh so, so they're already fucked. They already can't go back <laughs> now. They're already just completely screwed. Oh, okay, that's fine. I'm just gonna... Just, just, it's just that emotion, you know? There's a lot of sort of misdirect with character motivations and emotional resonance. Every every girl is good. Yes. Uh, I would say another key moment for me is Saika's sacrifice. Like when she is taken from this world, that's a really resonant scene. The fact that Sakura, her heel turn towards being an ally to Madoka and that her softness, for lack of a better term, opening up is really heartfelt and earned. The whole episode of Homer's flashback of the fact that she comes from a timeline where Madoka was a magical girl and the, the fact that they're all the traditional team where Mami and Madoka are recruiting more and more magical girls and what's interesting about Homer is the fact that like from my brief research of the magical girl genre the weapons that you use are usually I don't want to say feminine but the more ethereal and ordained so like yes. bows and sort of staffs or in like Sayaka uses a sort of a rapier yeah but even swords can be more rare not impossible because obviously cutie honey is very known for using a blade but homer uses motherfucking guns and to see like a 12 year old wield like spaz 12s and ar-15s is insane especially considering she has a pocket tardis that she can pull them from exactly. this is the interesting thing because homer it's not necessarily that homer's magical girl weapon are the guns her magical girl weapon is that little pocket yes. dimension it's the shield but she utilizes it in order to use guns and use all the weapons i wrote this down because i just have this little bit that i came up with yeah. just the bit where she's stealing all the weapons. I, I like to think that there's just some poor gunnery sergeant that's just sweating bullets, <laughs> realizing his cache keeps disappearing, and he's just keeping it under wraps, saying, 
And then when the when the world is ending, he looks up and sees this little girl using all of his light machine guns. Like, I know it. I done knew them girls be taking my AR-15s or my name isn't Satoshi Tawajiri, the most Jap American gunnery sergeant this side of the core. I mean, since the timelines keep changing, <laughs> he probably wouldn't agree. He probably wouldn't exist. He probably wouldn't realize. I'm fucking honest. Now I'm even sadder because he's gonna get fired and bleeped out of existence. Oh bless him. It's fine. <laughs> you'll survive. You'll, you'll you'll get a new job working on making weird anime OVAs. The uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I ran out. The the bit ran out on me. <laughs> Welcome to the left side of my brain. I want to touch on, uh, yes, Yuki Karajora, who is the composer for Madoka. Uh, and uh, her key compositions feel like a fusion of cathedral gravitas that bring to yeah. the Mahu Shoujo fluffiness. They're very operatic, and they feel very... Because Madoka, it feels very Christian. It feels very... Yeah, there are, like, especially considering... Shimbo is using a lot of almost glass painting imagery, yes. a lot of divine lights. Judeo-Christian imagery is yes. always going to come to our minds. Yes. yes, it's it's always there, and that music just feels so otherworldly. The track that was probably most famous from this OST is Magica, which is the ED that kicks in as soon as like episode three happens, yeah. and then is the shit's going down theme of Madoka Magica, and it's all fucking. Oh, it's fantastic. It's so beautiful. The music, it's like one of those things that the music, you don't really realize how much it impacts it until it's removed. Mm-hmm. But you just sit and you think about it, it's actually the emotional resonance of that music really just hits. Combined, so- combined with the impressive crunchiness of the sound design also. It's a very, on a technical level, it's a very well put together show as well. The animation when it was first airing was, um, <sighs> Hmm. There's, there's some questionable bits. Shaft, like Shaft on TV, is always a little flaccid. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know how I would describe it. It's it's TV broadcast I'm anime. Just in the perfect pun. This is why I have to work with people. But on like obviously on Blu-ray, it looks fucking stunning. Yes, well, it looks yeah. stunning. I think of what I, of the limited works I've seen from Shaft, they are definitely like we'll fix it for the home release. They commit the fucking hardest when it yes. comes to that, as opposed to other studios I can mention. Toy. Yep. <laughs> I it, it it just looks brilliant. It's like me and my partner watched the movie adaptations when we watched them on Blu-ray, and I was just sat looking at it going, "This looks fucking stunning. Like this actually just looks amazing." How do the compilation films compare? Because I watched the television series. Yes, so if we're going to go into compilation films, if I would say if you haven't seen Madoka or if you want to rewatch it, films are a completely viable Mm -hmm. way of doing it. It's completely fine. It's a 12 episode series, so it's not an enormous amount of content you're missing. It's not like watching a movie version of like a 26 episode series. Mm. And movies quite long, they're roughly just over two hours so they do quite a bit of content and 
there's not I don't really notice much being missing which is impressive considering compilation films the biggest hurdle they have to jump over is what do we cut and what do we keep in and what are we willing to reanimate exactly there are certain things that are cut like Mami's backstory is cut interesting which sucks because I like Mami's backstory but it's not (laughs) can we just talk about like the, the I have a bunch of notes, so I'm going to circle back to a lot of plot details because okay. I do want to cover that more. The bit where mommy just tried, just like shoots everyone out of desperation and they all just kill each other in the crossfire. <laughs> That's just <laughs> darkly funny. And then you just sit there thinking, oh, no, because the famous image of mommy holding her rifle towards the camera while she's just bawling will just break your heart in two. So you kind of look at that scene and you go, oh, you are completely broken, mate. Fuck me. But anyway, the compilation films, so... Yeah, things like Mommy's backstory are missing mm-hmm. from the films, but it's okay. It's like, it's nice flavor, it's nice world-building backstory, and it helps with the character development. But it's not, like, essential to the story. Everything that's essential is there. My only real criticism with the compilation films is that beginnings in particular feels very much like you're watching a TV series that's been edited together. That It has that feel to it. Like, you can really tell where each episode would end. Mm-hmm. It's like, because they've all got, like, really good, like, really strong beginnings and climax. You can see that flow throughout the first film. And my partner didn't notice it, so I talked to him about it afterwards. But obviously, because I've seen the series and those memories were coming back. Yeah, that's what it's for. Yeah, yeah, I noticed it very strongly. That's the only criticism I would have of the film. If you're watching the film, well, I also haven't seen the series. Um, the second film, Eternal, genuinely great. I doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's a compilation film. It feels like a solid movie, and I think it's because those last few episodes just link together so well. The movie is just—it's great serialized television. I think I'm going to cover a few more plot details because I think that's what people really like like about the series. So I do want to, you know, yeah. throw a bone towards that. Go for uh, it. Saiga's my favorite. She's my favorite girl. I oh, really like her because she has a very. Both Saika and Madoka have what I like to call a Superman complex, where they kind of have this sense of duty to self-sacrifice for the sake of validating their own existence. Especially with Saika, she has a sort of survivor's guilt when Mami is taken from them. The fact that she takes off the magical girl persona for the sake of coring her love interest's hand so he can play the clarinet she tries to hide behind a facade of almost shonen-esque confidence but she at times breaks down and says that she's not a good person is just doing this for attention whether that's ambiguous towards just someone's view of themselves or whether it's true or not i think it's it's a very compelling show of sisterhood that only magical girls can understand magical girls and that also leads madoka's eventual transformation to save everyone inflicted by this curse if you will i think it has a great mix of action melodrama and psychology which considering the anime that became really popular during this period like we're a few years from attack on titan really taking off as i mentioned steins gate and faint zero all have i mean faint zero is another genarabuchi show so you're gonna have those Greek tragedy elements weaved in there. And Steins Gate is also another show that goes along that dark, convoluted sort of storytelling plot. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else do I have? 
in regards to the the idea of hunting hunting witches and becoming more powerful through allowing the you know these these beings to suffer yeah. and sort of like the game that involves that it's very i got sort of bioshock vibes in regards to letting your morals swayed as you grow in power like you know a man chooses a slave obeys is the classic quote from that game and i think that can also be applied to sakura's initial motivation and ideology as a magical girl to grow in power and almost to be a lone wolf for the sake like you know these creatures are appearing all over this city you might as well take advantage of it and that sort of moral dichotomy of I've made this binding contract. I might as well make the best of it from my own personal gaze. It's almost a, a sort of, I know I'm being a bit pompous by saying this. It's a bit, a bit of a libertarian mindset. Well, it's, it is interesting because all of the magical girls have different motives yes. for why they're magical Which girls. Which is very, very good. Because yeah. quite often when you have an extent, like, Quite often when you have a very extensive cast of magical girls, they can bleed into each yes, other. They don't necessarily have their own specific it's really difficult to write compelling characters when you have 12 of them yeah. or more. And you're, and you're writing a show that doesn't have that much internal character conflict. Yes. Yes. Whereas in Madoka, there's a lot of internal character conflict. Yes. Yes. yes, if you look at the motivations... Mami became a magical girl because she was about to fucking die. Yeah. Kyoko, Sakura, like Sakura, became a magical girl because. Sorry, I should also mention apologies if I'm using names people are unfamiliar with. I watched the English dub, so I'm going to be using their first names. Weeb. Anyway. That's the opposite. <laughs> if anything, you should be calling me a fake fan. I say Japanimation unironically. Oh, if anything, you have outed yourself. Have I? As what? Weeaboo King. Now that I am going to edit out. <laughs> well, I was talking about your characters. So, yes. Yeah. So, Mami is a magical girl because she was about to die, mm-hmm. effectively. Kyoko is a magical girl because of her own backstory things and mm-hmm. wanting to make things better for her family. Sayaka is a magical girl because she wants the attention. She wants the attention from the boy who she has a crush on. Um, Homura is a magical girl because... She just wants to fucking see America's life, basically. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is that the main conflict of the show is, is Madoka going to be a magical girl or not? The entire show Which is her is her, com- is her internal conflict over what she wants. What does she want her wish to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what decision does she need to make in order to take this step, in order to become the thing that the show is to become Maho Shoujo Madoka Magica? Mm. It's, a, it's all character conflict that no, it, weaves together fucking beautiful. It's fantastic. And I think I'm going to touch on my quotes that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Go for it. Just before, because we need to touch on Rebellion. Yes, we do. Before I get to my final thesis statement, because I think this might run as one of the longer episodes we've done. Yeah, fair. I mean, a large part of this has, us, has just been us gassing <laughs> and talking shit. I have the masks. Worry not. Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> So um, I took this from I took this from the O Network, which is sort of like an anime news yes. uh, website. And this was from when the key staff of Madoka Magica attended uh, SakuraCon of 2012. They had a massive overflowing audience and they asked, how many of you have seen all episodes of Madoka Magica? And everyone raised their hand. Well, that's not surprising. It's a Madoka Magica panel. Madoka Magica had not been released legally in the United States or anyone else. So it, this was like a pinnacle of fan subbing culture was on display here. 
And I have a quote from the producer saying, I almost wish there was a magical way to make revenue without lying, relying on the IP merchandising machine. Yes. Which is a bit difficult, especially when it comes to magical girl shows, which when Gen Rabuchi was talking about this, he was like, you know, if merchandising was a priority of Madoka, the toys would need to be selling in the first week of the broadcast. So she would need to be transforming in the first episode. That was how this handicapped them because it's an anime original. Because Madoka is a TV original anime and not created with traditional magical girl ideas in mind, it doesn't have to adhere to the rules of the genre in order to advertise wands and dresses that could be snatched up with toy sales. Madoka's struggle to transform or not would have been out of the window if it needed to push conventional magical girl merchandise. Exactly. The form defines the story. Yes. Magical, the tropes, the conventions of magical girls that we've been discussing and like mentioning throughout the show came about in very much the same way as the conventions of Mecha. Yes. Or Shonen or every, any other genre. But, but specifically those two genres. Yeah, they're, they were created. Spiritual sisters. Yes, way. they are, because they both were developed to sell toys. 100%. One hundred, like no question whatsoever. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's no other questions. That they were de- developed to sell toys. All those magical girl shows of the eighties and seventies, all the mecha shows of the eighties and seventies. Large part of them, not all, obviously. This isn't a blanket statement, but merchandising is inherent to both of these. You cannot remove that from their DNA. Absolutely not. But that's why you have the big cast of characters who all have different costumes and different abilities, different weapons. It's Power Rangers syndrome, one for everyone. Which is what the genius of Sailor Moon is, is because it just fully embraces that. It just takes it completely on board. Exactly. And Madoka's whole thing is that it's kind of rejecting that whole system System in a weird way. Yeah. It's like rejecting that whole system of, oh, we released the show effectively as an advertisement for the merchandise. Considering the anime industry is effectively an advertisement for source material, 95% of the time is quite nice. Especially these days. I mean, it's always been. It's always always been there, but considering how globalized anime production and how, to be very frank, little Japan has learned about international distribution in two decades that we have acknowledged anime's existence is depressing to say the least. So I think that's kind of tied up most of the things I wanted to say about the series. So I originally had a thesis statement that said that Madoka might be dealing with the horrors of being a magical girl and the face that they have to put on for their duties and the isolation, but the seeds have been present in the genre for decades. But the ending of the TV series where Madoka's love and compassion, traits that are ingrained into the magical girl genre, they free all the magical girls past and present from their suffering and through the power of love, literally, says goodbye to Homura against a bright backdrop of colors and friendship, it sort of cements the eternal theme of this genre. And And then Rebellion fucks that right in the ass! Just a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think I'm about not it, mad! I think you're a wee bit mad. But if you think about it in a very meta context, it's obvious that they're not just discussing magical girls within no. magical magic, they're discussing industry, like the genre as a fucking whole. That entire just bubble that exists within the industry. They're Absolutely. just like, you can just let go of all of this shit. You can just go and make good stories and good shows. Yeah. And 
that kind of developed with along the line shows like Killer Kill, et cetera, et cetera. Killer Kill is a magical girl show. I, what else can you <sighs> the next say? thing you'll be telling me, the movie Logan is a secretly a Western. Well, well, well. So anyway, rebellion happens. Um, One last note I want to make is, despite the fact that I absolutely love the twist about uh, the magical girls throughout history, yeah, I, I bawled out laughing when they had the Moai versions of all the historical figures, like uh, Cleopatra and yeah, Joan yeah. of Arc. Which, it was cute, but it was also like, what, what? I absolutely uh, spat out my drink on my television when I first saw shibby cleopatra so, so that, that led me to think great. that in this universe mo- like all famed historical figures are Probably like magical girls. girls so with that with that poise i i put to, i put to you uh gabe the yes. floor was margaret thatcher a magical girl absolutely fucking not <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Thatcher is a magical girl for about five minutes and then immediately- Then she turned into a witch. Yeah, exactly. she, she wasn't even magical. She just went straight to witch. <laughs> but do you think she made a contact of Cubay? But then she tricked Cubay <laughs> into harnessing the power in this universe. No. This is something I've been holding on to for months. You've been thinking about whether Thatcher was a magical girl for months. <laughs> because I'm like, look, in this universe. Those Thatcher exist in this universe. I don't think. Was Hillary Clinton a magical girl? <laughs> I'm with her. This is painful. <laughs> I am, I mean, I'm losing blood. Oh, my head's so light. I'm impressed that we managed to end up discussing Thatcher on a fucking magical girl pa- pa- Look, fucking I brought podcast. Power Rangers, Weird Al, and now the political history of 1980s England into an episode about sad magical girls. Quite frankly, the Guru Gamesh podcast delivers when it comes to content. We would not have it any other way. So, um, Rebellion was a thing that happened, and, uh, wow, what a film. Very, um... Bivalent on rebellion because I'm just like it's, it's a, just a film. It's it's a I, movie. I, I spoke to a mutual friend of ours yeah. who kind of informed me that in the Madoka fandom, rebellion is very contentious. Right, that does make sense. Considering, I mean, I wanna I wanna say first up, wonderful looking and sounding film. So, Absolutely. In terms of the actual production, the film itself, it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. It sounds beautiful. The music is stunning. The design, the like, the cinematography, all of the design of the world, it's stunning. The fight scenes and the fight choreography, it's actually cool as shit. They're really fucking cool. I have just put here in bold Comic Sans capital letters. Magical girl con- gun cast a scene. Explanation yes. mark. Explanation mark. <laughs> it's what like to see mommy and Homura just go fucking Dragon Ball Z John Wick. It's so good. It's amazing. It's the best scene in the movie. It is. Like, like it, it entirely watch this film just for that fight scene because it's rad. The rest of the film. I like this overall. I want to explicitly state that. I agree. I do like it's not like I dislike it because I do like it, but I feel very just meh. That's fair. I should probably say that for those unaware, Madoka Magica Free Rebellion 
is a, unlike the compilation films, is a sequel to the television series that continues the story that follows Homura Akemi as she slowly discovers that this fabricated world around her is not real and she slowly begins to disseminate herself throughout this reality and chooses, makes a vital choice to do with Madoka's relationship to the universe after the end of the television series where Madoka becomes an eternal, almost goddess-like yes. being. So I actually quite like the downtime in this film because in yes. the regular TV series, we don't see the girls teaming up as a magical girl team. And that's really nice to see. Yes, it's really nice to see that in Rebellion. It's like a nice, like, oh, okay, this is cute. This is fun. And then it takes on a mystery angle, which yeah. I do enjoy. It takes place in this city that is seems endless, but it's very much limited. I'm actually a bit... This this concept is very familiar to science fiction. Yeah. I've mentioned before on the podcast that one of my favorite films is Dark City, which is about a noir city that seems artificial and has a mysterious theme behind it. Like, you know, uh, it's, it's a really solid premise. You know, Star Trek sit in the edge of forever. It's about, you know, a, a city on the edge of time. Babe 2, Pig in a City, solid anime classic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, directed by the marvelous George Miller. Yes. <laughs> the Power Rangers bit and the Babe 2 Pig in the City joke were the first things I came up with <laughs> for the Madoka script. I'm sorry, but it's like every time Beav gets mentioned, I'm just like, oh yes, Beav Pig in the City from the man who brought you Mad Max. <laughs> So I love the investigation portions, the whole questioning reality and choosing to either reject or accept fallacy is a concept that I absolutely adore in science fiction, and I think Rebellion does it quite well. Sayaka's quite content with this particular universe, mostly because in the mainline universe, she's fucking dead. Yes. And to see this exploration of Homura's commitment to the truth no matter how painful it is and i say this movie at least gets a seven to eight out of ten for the sheer amount of on-screen cube death that happens yes it's marvelous the little bastard suffers and it is glorious to watch it's very cathartic that and the gun takata scene are probably my two favorite scenes in the movies just you know anime girls going ham and cube just suffering which is what we love to see and then the plot twist happens yeah i this is partly why I'm very ambivalent on the film. It's like, it's a good movie and I enjoy it, but I'm also just sort like, but it wasn't necessary. That's a very apt point. Is there, is there anything about this that's actually mm. necessary? So, spoilers off the table in regards to this. Homura, when finally getting... I mean, the I'm not going to get into the full complexity of the plot, because yeah. Genorobuchi is absolutely filling this with every complex diatribe he can absolutely fill himself with. The man definitely seems to be more gifted as a television writer than he is a film writer. And long story short, they've retrieved Madoka's soul, and they've broken into the real reality, and then Homura becomes Satan. I am not exaggerating, and creates her own twisted reality where everything is perfect in her opinion, and the only people who know different are Sayaka and possibly Mami and Kyoko. Then Madoka possibly picks up on it, and the fact that Komura is okay with this twisted reality existing, and Madoka possibly hating her because she is alive and well. Now, to me, this is... If Rebellion was released in 2013, I believe... 13, 14 around that. Yes. And it's only just been announced this year, which is why we're doing this episode in the first place, that Madoka is getting a sequel film. I would be fucking pissed if I walked out of this theater and this was the end. Because this, frankly, is an Empire Strikes Back. 
And these the Madoka fanbase has been waiting for their return of the Jedi for nearly a decade. This is like this is what I mean. I remember watching that ending and just being like, oh, okay, this is it. Because I didn't watch Rebellion when it first came out. Sets up so much shit. And then just does nothing with it. Yeah. But this is this is why it feels to me like it, it's just kind of a nothing movie in terms of moving the mm. plot because it ends and you're just like that, that wasn't necessary. It doesn't feel like it was a development of the themes of the first film. Yes. Carrying on a story in a unique way, it just feels like it was a film that was written because Madoka was really, really popular and they didn't expect it to. Which, to be fair, for what essentially is a franchise film, you could do a hell of a lot worse. Oh, massively. It's like, we could go and watch, I don't fucking know, Bioboy. Yu-Gi-Oh! The Pyramid of Light. Oh no, I like Yu-Gi-Oh! Pyramid of Light. What is wrong with you? I watched uh, I watched it a lot when I was little. It was the only Yu-Gi-Oh! DVD I had, so I watched it very frequently. Um, I know it's not a good movie. Fuck it, season two, we're doing Yu-Gi-Oh! The Pyramid of Light. We're locking that in now. Yeah, alright, I'm a flop. Can we do all the Yu-Gi-Oh! movies? Yes. Jay just looks like <laughs> he has lost all will to live. Jay, but at some point I'm gonna have to cover the rest of the Pokemon movies, and considering they peak at free, fuck knows what the Yu-Gi-Oh movies are gonna look like. Not, not great. <laughs> I mean, Pokemon movies. Uh, Madoka Magica, Madoka Magica, for the love of God, Madoka Magica. Let's get back to it. <laughs> we, we need to close this out because I think we're at the end of our tethers here. So, um... I think it's just you, man. I think you're losing the plot. It's again a Rabuji story, that's kind of natural. Hey! If I'm not losing my head, I'm losing the plot, either so. So you brought it back. So, in sort of surmising this, if you were to sort of give a wrap-up of your thoughts of and feelings of Madoka, not only as just a, a good anime show we enjoy, but also as what it represents as part of the modern anime community, what would you have to say about I that? think it is a modern classic, <clears throat> in the sense of... I use classic not in regards to... Time period? No, 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 no. I would say that Madoka is a modern classic, and I don't use classic in regards to issues quality, mm-hmm. necessarily to the quality of the work. I mean classic in how much of an impact and influence it has had yes. going forward. And I would say that... Under that circumstance, that is a very wise decision to classify yes. under it, because... It's like Madoka comes at the start of the start of the decade. It comes alongside shows such as Steins Gate that would sort of like set the tone for that decade. For what seasonal anime could become? Because yeah. every now and then we will have a unanimous hit of a twelve or twenty-six episode anime that airs in a season that the whole anime community absolutely gets behind. Without a Madoka Magica, it's very possible that like the booms that are. Attack on Titan, ReZero, um, uh, that one where it's like he's got a shield and there's a raccoon girl or whatever. I've no fucking idea. Well, look, like, it, there's every season, there's a, I think Wonder Egg Priority this yeah. year would actually be yeah. an apt comparison. Every season you have one... A dark psychological thriller that people get behind for a solid, you know, amount of time and then never forget it. There we go. Boom. I mean, this is not where I was going, but you've got a point. All I was going to say is that every season you've got a handful of shows that are the popular shows, and you always have that one. You have yeah. that one that is 
the show that season that everyone watches and it just takes over everything. Yeah. Even people who aren't in the anime will check it out because 100%. it's successful. And Madoka is very much the show mm. that, that it was that show. It was everywhere. It was everything. And its impact and its legacy has very much remained and very much been felt. And yeah. honestly... It's almost outlived like the genre. It's just the genre's yeah. presence itself. It's outlived yeah. Magical Girl because really how many big Magical Girl shows do you see these days? Not a lot. You see Precure, but Precure... Precure is very much Japan. Like, here's the thing. In terms of Western anime fandom, you will get Sailor Moon, you will get Mandoka Magica, and if you're lucky, you will get someone who has seen Cardcaptor Sakura yeah. or someone. I'm saying this is a noob or maybe, you know, Tokyo Mew Mew. That's, that's a fucking pulling that one out of the goddamn gutter. Tokyo Mew Mew, I forgot about that. But it's, it's probably the most, aside from Sailor Moon, it's probably the most- Shout out to my Winx Club fans! Way, but aside from <laughs> Sailor Moon, it's probably the most popular and successful magical girl anime at yeah. the moment. Like, there's a reason they're doing like Genrobuchi yeah. and Akiyuki Shibu are coming back for the new movie. Ooh. But it's like it's that kind of thing where it's I sit down and I sat down and watch it with my partner. And my partner is a fan of anime, but they watched it and absolutely loved it. They loved every minute of it, yeah. and I was like, ah. it has earned its status regardless of any sort of semblance. I think it is hyped just the right amount enough. Yes, I agree. Maybe don't use the word deconstruction so much, but you know we can let things we can let things slide. Well, but, well, we're not going to get into that. We're saving that for the Evangelion episode, baby. Anyway, this has been the Garugamesh podcast. Thank you very much for joining us for what might be our longest episode yet. I mean, we'll see what the cutting room floor has. But yeah, thank you very much for joining me, Gabe. No worries. Feel free, audience, to leave a nice review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasting goodness. And please remember, I love sushi, I love Japan, but love you more for staying a fan. Good night, everyone. Too late to give you back My receipt is gone And I'm starting to look back at everything that's going wrong Know how I used to long To hold you in my hands Such a shame it took six weeks shipping directly from Japan not gonna lie, you were kawaii, but now your paint job's chipped away. Marie away blues, my plastic wife. Your shining gloss once put my family in strife. For what I owe to you, I swear I could die. Body pillows I left hanging dry Oh darling, we're a mess Listening to Garuga Mesh